Philippians chapter 2 is where we'll be as we continue our study through this book. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, the words will be on the screen. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your home, but uh, I had seen this happen on TV shows, and finally it's happened once or twice in our home where I'll walk in and and it'll just, like, craziness will be happening. Like, just be kids losing their mind, bouncing off walls, hitting each other, crying, screaming, uh, and a wife who's just like, I'm done, right? You've been home all day, your turn. And so it's, sometimes you just go, all right, family meeting, everyone on the couch. And you get to have this talk of who do you think you are? This is not how we act. This is not how we behave. We don't do this or that. And, and you will have this moment where you say, we are Wilsons. And Wilsons do not behave this way. Sometimes you have to have those family meetings. Sometimes you got to have this kind of refresh moment, realign moment, a reminder of who we are and how we're supposed to act and what we're supposed to stand for and believe and act like. And when Paul writes this section in Philippians, I think he's kind of doing that. He's kind of calling a family meeting with the Philippian church to say, hey, listen, I've heard some reports. There's been some whispers that there's a little bit of friction. There's a little bit of a disunity happening. Uh, and he wants to correct it and remind them of the unity that they're supposed to have, how they can have it, and what it looks like. Last week, we briefly touched on this idea of unity. And this passage dives deep more into it. And, and I think it is a timely reminder because almost every single day in our country, there's some uh, bit of news or some problem, some controversy, some issue that comes out that everyone has a different opinion about, everyone disagrees about, and everyone wants to rip each other to shreds over it. It's like we've poured gasoline over everything. And we all just want to play with matches. Eventually, it's going to blow up. And one of the things I think that Paul is telling us and I think God would remind us of this morning is that we can never let that type of thing happen in our church. We can never allow discord and disunity to come in and break us. There are plenty of churches throughout the years who have had problems and issues that slowly build and eventually split the church. And it always happens because there was a lack of unity. I'm thankful that in our church, we're pretty unified. Um, I'm thankful that we strive together, we grow together, and we work through issues together. But my desire is that even as problems arise, because they will, when issues arise, because they will, that we would tackle them head on and that they would make us stronger and more unified, not less. So how can we have that? Let's read our text this morning and find out. Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, says the word of the Lord. When I t- there's, a, there's a cricket over here, and so when I tell a joke, I need y'all to laugh so that I don't just hear crickets. That's funny, all right? Oh, thank you, thank you. So as we read this text, let's make it pretty simple out of the gate here. How do we have a unity? It begins, unity begins and ends with Jesus. Jesus is the foundation for all of our unity. Now, be, let me be clear about something. What I don't mean is that we simply agree that he was real, that he existed, or that he was who he said he was. I mean that we have this shared experience as Jesus, as our Savior, that begins our unity together. 
Okay, so if you notice the language that Paul begins here in the first verse, he's not just saying that we have this uh, intellectual assent or belief to who Jesus is, but actually have this shared experience. So notice some of this language. He says first, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any encouragement in Christ, our unity begins because you and I as followers of Jesus uniquely understand and know what it is like to experience encouragement as from Jesus as our Savior, that he blesses us and lifts us up, that when we come into his presence, that when you are down, when you are scared, when you are hurt, when you are burdened, that oftentimes Jesus has been the only thing that you could lean on. He was the only one who was there. He was the only one who brought you comfort, that Jesus has been like an anchor to our souls. If you're a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you know what that feels like. Often when we talk about this, we talk about how Jesus is there, what his presence is comforting to us, he's near to us. Uh, unbelievers, if you don't follow Jesus, that sounds weird to you, right? Like, it sounds strange to you. When we say that this book sometimes is, like the, that its words are life, that its words are like honey to our soul, that it, it builds us up, people, people are like, man, that's just an old book. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's just an old book. And how can you know Jesus' presence? It sounds like it's foolishness when you say things like that to people who don't believe, but to us. To us, his presence, his presence is everything. His word is everything. His comfort, his love is everything. He's encouraging to us. But then he goes on and he says, not just encouragement, but do, have you ever had any comfort from his love? The comforting love of Jesus has lifted uh, all of us out of this pit of despair. Many of you uh, never knew what a father's love was supposed to be like until you met Jesus. Many of us wallowed in guilt and shame and depression until Jesus burst into our lives, lifting us up out of despair. And the wonderful thing about God's love that, that's comforting is that God's love is not ignorant. It's not as if God loves you, but yet doesn't know anything about you, or he just knows the surface. So a lot of times our greatest fear is that if people really knew me, if people really knew the inside, knew my motivations, knew my heart, knew the things that I thought, that they wouldn't want to be around me, they wouldn't love me, nor else like me. But God's love isn't ignorant. He doesn't just love an idea of you or version of you. He actually loves you. He loves you knowing the things you think and knowing the things you do and knowing the feelings you have. And he, knows, he loves you knowing the things that you haven't even done yet. And yet he loves you. He knows every issue in sin, yet he loves you. And every follower of Jesus knows this kind of love intimately, and it's transformed us. It has made us a people who have a constant stream of comfort, even in the midst of our failures. Then, not only do we have encouragement and, and, and love, but then he says, any participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy. You and I, as followers of Jesus, and every follower of Jesus from the very beginning until now, around the world, has one thing in common and that we are all filled with the Holy Spirit. Our belief in Jesus, God has filled us with the Holy Spirit, which means he has made us brothers and sisters. He has united us by filling us with his same spirit, okay? And this bond that is formed between people who know Jesus, not as an idea or belief, but as a savior, a Savior who warms our heart and is near to us and comforts us and changes our lives, who unites us by the Spirit. When we have that kind of commonality, that is the foundation for the unity that we can only have in Christ. Unity begins and ends with Jesus. For those who do not know Jesus personally, true lasting unity is impossible. True unity is impossible. 
no matter how different we are, no matter how, no matter what other things might try to divide us, the commonality of knowing Jesus, having a personal, real, deep relationship that has lifted us up is the foundation for true unity. So the first thing, so we're gonna see three markers. The first one is that unity flows from having the same savior. But second, second, it flows from having the same beliefs. Verse two, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love. I want you to notice that at the, uh, having the same mind is accompanied by having the same love, that they are two sides of the same coin, that they are united together, that our minds, our thinking, and our love are together. Uh, uh, similar to another biblical phrase that Paul would say, speak the truth in love. The truth without love is harsh. To speak the truth without love makes you a jerk. But love without truth makes you sentimental and shallow. So how do we have unity around the truth and yet maintain a love for one another? How can we stand on truth and be united on truth and yet not rip each other to shreds when we disagree? If you were to walk into the emergency room today and you had a belly ache and your belly was really messed up and, and you just felt like you needed to go to the emergency room and you did, you'd go in there and fill out all the million pieces of paperwork and then you'd sit down and you'd wait. And you'd wait, and you'd wait, and you'd wait. And then about hour four, you would see some guy come in with a knife hanging out of his, of his ribs. And he wouldn't have to fill out any paperwork, and he'd go straight back. And you're like, what's going on? I've been here four hours. Why does he get to go back? It's because when you're in the emergency room, they do a thing called triage. And they say, okay, this person needs immediate attention, immediate help. This is a crucial issue. You have a bellyache, you can sit for six more hours. You'll be just fine. We've got to deal with this now. In the same way, we can look at the issues that divide us and do triage. We can look at them and decide, hey, is this a knife in the side kind of issue or is this a bellyache kind of issue? And this is one of the most practical, helpful things in my life to be able to think through issues and whether or not they should divide us. So let's say it like this. There's a person that you disagree with over an issue. Should that disagreement lead to disunity and division, or is it okay to disagree on? So let's do this. Triage, tier one, knife in the side issues. Issues that are, these are issues that are so important that to disagree means that the person is either not a genuine Christian or it is so reprehensible that unity is impossible. These tier one issues that if you disagree with them, that means you're not a Christian or you hold to a position that is so reprehensible that there's always gonna be a wall between us if we never have unity. Let me give you some examples. First, if you disagree that Jesus was raised from the dead, you you can't be a Christian. You have to believe Jesus was raised from the dead to be a Christian. If you don't believe, if you disagree and you say, I don't believe that Jesus was really God in the flesh, you can't be a Christian. If you don't believe in the Trinity, you can't be a Christian. Things like that. Okay, those are big, fundamental to Christianity issues. If you disagree with them, we're not going to be able to have Christian unity because we disagree on fundamental things. Right? Or, or we'll apply this to other issues, like social issues. If you promulgate racism, you go join the KKK, we're not going to be able to have unity. We believe people are creating the image of God and of value and dignity and worth. If you believe that Babies are not created in the image of God. 
when they're in their mother's womb. They don't have value, dignity, and worth, and you can just discard them at will. We're going to have an issue. We're going to have a, a wall between us because we believe that they are created in the image of God. Okay, so that's a first-tier issue that if you disagree on these things, we're just not going to be able to have unity. Unity is going to be impossible. Okay, does that make sense? That's a tier one issue. Now, what that doesn't mean is we don't love those people. Of course, we love those people. We care for those people. It doesn't mean you should kick them out of your life. It just simply means you'll never have real unity. It means that there are some, some things that are big enough, big enough issues that there will always be a wall between us. First tier issues are essential for unity. We must agree on these big issues. The resurrection, the Bible's the word of God, those kinds of things. Tier two things. These are things that we can disagree about. We can be great friends. We can have a level of unity. We can do mission trips together. We can do things together, but we probably shouldn't covenant together in the same church. So if you're like really into speaking in tongues and rolling on the floor and all that kind of stuff, more power to you, you probably just don't want to be here because we're not going to do that, right? So you might just want to find somewhere so that you can go be happy doing that. Um, second tier issues, first tier issues and second tier issues are issues that we unite over. Our agreement on these things foster our unity. We can't have unity without agreement on these things. Now here's where it gets really helpful, I think. We think through this lens of third tier issues because this is where every problem arises. Because what we do is we take a third tier issue, which is I've got a bellyache, not a stab, not a knife hanging out of your gut, but a bellyache. And we take these third tier issues and we say these things are so important that we elevate them to a first tier issue. And that's what creates our disunity. That's what, like these issues over here, we should be able to disagree on. We should be able to, talk through and work through them and be passionate about. You can have passionate, strong opinions about third-tier issues and yet have a brother beside you who you're greatly united with and just disagree about. That's okay. Okay, but our problem is we want to elevate those things to greater importance and that's what creates our disunity. Let me give you some examples. Our positions on the end times or revelation. Like, we can, every one of us in this room could sit down and get our flannel charts out. Y'all remember flannel charts? And we could talk about how Jesus is going to come back, when's it going to happen, and, and what's it going to look like, and how long, and all those different details. We're, we can all disagree, not a big deal, as long as we agree Jesus is coming back. That's a third-tier issue. Which Bible translation do you think is best? Some of y'all like the KJV. Some of you like the ESV, which you should. Some of you like the NIV. <laughs> Some of you like the NIV. Some of you like the NLT, whatever. Those are all good. Enjoy them. We shouldn't divide over that. All right, now I'm going to step on your toes. Y'all ready? Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> Whether or not we think it is wise to drink alcohol in moderation. Now, we can disagree on that. Some of you may think, hey, you know what? As long as you're not getting drunk, as long as it's moderation, it's, it's, you're doing it in wisdom, all those things, that's Okay. And other you may think, you know what, I just don't think it's wise to ever do it. We can have unity and disagree on that issue. You know that? Like, it's okay to disagree about that. And we can be, that's not a first-tier issue. We can be in the same church. We can hug one another, love one another, be great friends with one another, and disagree on that. Not a big deal. Let me give you another one. Our preferred style of music. I've often said Nathan has the hardest job in the world. Because it doesn't matter what song he sings, it'll either be too fast or too slow, too loud or too quiet, too new or too old, 
or something. It'll, somebody will be mad by whatever song he sings. It doesn't matter what church you go to. That's always going to be the case. But it is okay for us to like different things. It is okay for us to enjoy different types of worship and different types of music. It is okay for us to disagree on that and be incredibly united. It's okay. Finally, it, our political leanings or our political policy positions. These are incredibly difficult things to think through. These are hard things. And these are the things that people are ripping each other's shreds over. It's okay for us to have different opinions. It's okay for us to think differently. It's okay for us to belong to different parties. It's okay. We can disagree on these things and still have great unity. We don't have to agree on every policy or political issue because it is not the White House that unites us. Amen? Can we amen that? It is not the Oval Office that unites us because we believe that one day that Oval Office is going to get torn down and a throne is going to be put in its place. So here's the problem. We take these third-tier issues, which we can be passionate about. We can have strong opinions about. We can think through and wrestle and, and study those issues and care about those things. But what we can't do is say that they are so important that they become first-tier things that we divide against our brothers and sisters who disagree with us. There are some things that are closed fists that we can divide over and disagree on that are such big disagreements that we can't have unity. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we're not going to be able to have unity. If you disagree in the authority of the Bible, we're not going to be able to have unity. But if you disagree with me on the way I interpret Revelation, we can have unity. If you disagree with me on how one should handle alcohol, we can have unity. That's okay. If you disagree with me on music, that's okay. If you bring your kid and she likes to throw things across the floor, that's okay. Listen to this. We must care for each other so deeply in a love that binds our souls together so strongly that differences of perspective cannot pull us apart. All those issues that I listed, those are things that have split churches and ruined friendships. Split churches and ruined friendships over music, over, over what Bible they use, over political issues. The inability to have unity often arises out of elevating these small issues into big issues, third tier into first tier. They break our fellowship or our unity over something that we should be able to lovingly disagree about, and it's okay. What we often do is take these third-tier issues, these political issues, these theological issues, and we say, if you don't agree with me, I can't have anything to do with you. And it is a failure on our part to love that we make conformity on every issue the basis of our unity. If we do that, we'll never have unity. When in reality, what we need to do is unite around the essential things. Unite around those beliefs that are essential to our faith and then give freedom to disagree on non-essential things and in everything we love. To have unity, we've got to know Jesus as our Savior. To have unity, we must agree on the essential issues and give liberty on the others. We can have convictions, but we can be kind at the same time. Unity flows from having the same Savior and have convictional kindness. Finally, unity flows from having, putting on humility. Verses three and four say, do nothing from selfish ambition 
or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. First thing he says here is do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. The idea there is vain glory. Literally meaning you have nothing to glory in, nothing to brag about. Any attempt to make yourself great as a fool's errand, our best works are filthy rags. The only thing that we bring to our salvation is the problems that need to be fixed. Every talent we have is a gift from God. Everything that we do that is good is by his mercy and grace. So we should not have some unrealistic high view of ourselves. In the Old Testament, there's this great story where Jacob, who's the, great, who's the grandson of Abraham, is kind of prideful and kind of arrogant and thinks he's kind of got it all together. And this one story, God comes down and wrestles Jacob and they wrestle all night long. And it's like God is just kind of teasing him, kind of stringing him along a little bit. And at the end of the night, right before the sun comes up, God just reaches out and touches him on the hip and his whole hip is dislocated. And so for the rest of his life, Jacob has to walk with a limp as a constant reminder that he lives and thrives by the mercy of God alone. And that every step he takes, he must remember to be humble. Guys, as followers of Jesus, we will not one day go strutting into the pearly gate saying, sorry you guys have had to wait so long, I'm here. Where's the party? We do not walk with a strut. We do not walk with a swagger. We walk with a limp. We walk in humility. We walk in humility. When we do, we will have deep unity with others because we are fighting not for ourselves, but for other people. I want you to imagine with me for a moment a church where every member was more concerned about the other people's needs and wants and would rather other people receive what they needed and wanted, even at the cost of me not getting what I wanted. Imagine that. What if our fights were not over getting our way, but what if our fights were to fight to outserve one another? C.S. Lewis obviously says it best when he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility doesn't doesn't look like someone who hates themselves or is down on themselves or beats themselves up. Humility is simply more interested in other people. So humility in a conversation means that I am more concerned about what you have to say than I am in being heard. A humble person can often be hard to spot. It's hard to know who's humble and who's not. And I think that's rather the point. You see, you will often find yourself oddly jealous when you meet humble people. Oddly jealous. Not because they made a big deal of themselves, but because you found in meeting them that they were so confident that they did not draw attention to themselves at all. Instead, they were much more interested in you. Imagine a church where everyone was much more interested in everyone but themselves. If we want unity, lasting, deep unity that leads to beautiful, loving, unshakable community, we need to have the same Savior. We need to have conviction and kindness. We need to have great humility. Put others before ourselves. Because if we did that, people of all shapes and sizes and stripes would long to be here. Understand this. Unity is not from conformity. We will not find unity if we all have to dress alike, think alike, and enjoy the same things. Unity is not similarity. Unity is harmony. 
And that is Paul's point in verse 2 when he says, be in full accord. To be in full accord means to live in harmony with one another. Now understand what harmony means. One of the great frustrations of my life is my inability to sing harmony. I try so hard. I've tried hard for years. And no matter how many times I try to sing harmony, it sounds like nails on a chalkboard. It's terrible. I've always wanted to sing harmony because when you add harmony to a song, it takes it to another level. Now, if you don't understand, to sing harmony means that the the lead singer, for example, may be singing a C and the other person sings a G. And they are different notes, but yet together they, they combine to make this beautiful sound. They're not the same. They are different. And yet together they are more beautiful than they are alone. Church, that's true of us. We are diverse, we are different, but we unite around the throne of Jesus in humility. And when we have unity, despite our differences, we create a beautiful harmony for the world to marvel at. Now to be sure, there are opinions and beliefs and actions that might put you outside of the circle of possible unity. If you don't believe in the resurrection, we're not gonna have unity. If you don't believe that all people are created in the image of God, we're not gonna be able to have unity. If you, if you do not believe that God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for you and was raised from the dead, we're not gonna have unity. But just as all notes don't combine to make harmony, some notes, some notes, when you play them together, they clash. They sound like me trying to sing harmony. It sounds terrible. All notes don't go together, but when you get the notes that do, it's beautiful. church in the days ahead, I believe with all my heart that it is the evil one's goal to divide us, that he will use every trick and every power in his arsenal to divide us, because to divide us makes us ineffective. To divide us makes us useless in our mission to advance the gospel. He wants to divide us over politics. He wants to divide us over opinions on COVID. He wants to divide us over masks. He wants to divide us about third-tier issues we are passionate about, that we begin to treat like first-tier issues. So we break our unity. He wants us to break our fellowship. He wants our family to be broken up over disagreements that it's okay for us to have. We are in a battle, a battle for unity, a battle to be in harmony. And I believe that Fellowship Baptist Church in 2020 is up for it. I believe we are up for this unity. I believe we can show the world that the one thing that can unite people from every tribe, tongue, and nation is not the Oval Office, is not opinions on this or that. The one thing that can unite us, all people, is a king hanging on a cross. See, if Jesus is your savior, if you can rally around the essential beliefs of the Christian faith, And if you can put on great humility, we can have unity. We can have harmony. And our family, our church family, which our church family should be thicker than blood, we will show the world what it means to belong to this family. Not what it means to be a Wilson or a Mabry or a Hamblin, but what it means to be a little Christ. We can show the world what our family looks like and acts like. And therefore, through Jesus, let's pray. Father, you're kind and gracious and patient to us. We love you. God, would you, would you make us a church that is united? God, we're united now, but would you give us greater, greater, and greater unity? Would you make us effective in your mission? 
Would you not allow the evil one to use his tricks to divide us over issues that are fading and passing? Would you not allow the evil one to divide us over issues that are third-tier issues? And would you not allow him to divide us over anything? Help us to be united on who Jesus is to us as our Savior, the things that we believe to be essential, and help us to put on great humility and to count others as more significant than ourselves. Make us effective. In Christ's name we pray all people said.